When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's the first of the month. Actually, it's not. It's like the 7th of June. I just like singing that song. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a not-so-special edition of MK. We're on a Wednesday of Fight Week on a pay-per-view. A lot of folks seem ho-hum about, and we had technical difficulties, so we couldn't go live today. My name is Luke Thomas. That's Brian Campbell. We're the hosts. How you doing, BC? Yeah, and the Iron Sheik died, Luke, so it's been a rough a rough morning on all things combat sports. Uh, that legend broke many men's back and made them humble. But I'm happy to be here, Luke. Uh, I am not sitting here under the uh, the auspices of gunpoint. I'm just in a hotel room in Verona, New York, uh, ahead of Friday's Showbox, the new generation card at the International Boxing Hall of Fame. But, uh, you know, I do look uh, washed and ridiculous just the same. You look about like the how healthy this show is at this point. I mean, just running on fumes. Look, if the Saudis were willing to pay us, would we do would we would we do the same thing the PGA did or what? It's a good question. Would no, I turn that's down the thing. Would I turn down a hundred million dollars per year? I mean, if Dana offered me the free flight to power slap, would I you know what would I have done? That's the same thing that those golfers are going through right now, Luke. Didn't the Iron Sheik also threaten to F someone's A before making them home? <laughs> Yeah, that usually was part of the offer, Luke. Not sure how many times that ticket was cashed in, though, You know, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah, okay. Hey, uh, a legend, a legend in this game, all right? All right, well, listen, we got a lot to get to in not much time because we had a huge delay trying to figure out how we're going to get the show started today. So here we are on the UFC 289 fight week. As I mentioned, not necessarily everyone's favorite fight card, especially for a pay-per-view, but there are some good gems on it, certainly some very relevant MMA We'll talk about that here today. So thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, hit subscribe if you haven't already. Give us a nice review if you're listening on a favorite podcast platform. Standard reminder, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce after that. Of course, morningcombat.store is the place to be for all of our merch. And if you want to reach the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. All right. Look, you ever watch a controversial documentary like, like, remember the Lightning Lee Murray one on Showtime and his family didn't want to be seen on camera, so they're like sitting under the shadows. That's what I feel like right now. Yeah, except you're just lit just enough to look like a bag of milk. Just the worst. <laughs> uh, all right, BC. With that in mind, let's get the show started here today. Not a lot of other things to mention. We'll start, of course, 
with the obvious topic. Topic number one, UFC 289 will be in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Saturday. Uh, I think the official date will be the 10th, I believe is the 10th of June here in the year of our Lord, 2023. BC, the main event, a bantamweight title fight between reigning champion Amanda Nunes and surging-ish contender Irene Aldana. Aldana, by the way, a little bit older, not much. I think a couple months older um, than Amanda Nunes, but of course Amanda having a little bit more, I would say actually a fair amount more big fight experience. BC, let's talk X's and O's first. What do you think of when you when you look at this matchup as the most important consideration to examine when thinking about who has the upper hand? Well, look, uh, the women's bantamweight division where this title is being at stake, it's not like we have a long history of one-punch knockout artists. And while that might be a little bit overblown to describe Aldana as that, even though she certainly delivered in that breakthrough highlight against Ketlin Vieta, I would say that she brings a threat of power, a threat of, of, of you know, danger that isn't in typical Amanda Nunes title defenses at 135. So first and foremost there, Luke, from the standpoint of us believing this is an upgrade from the original fight that was booked, the trilogy bout against Juliana Pena, which you know wasn't called for, didn't make any sense really coming off of how dominant uh, Amanda was in their rematch. And, and, uh, and obviously you add in there the exposure of how bad her training camp was for that first fight and the injuries she had. This is a much tougher fight in my opinion, Luke, and it's going to come down to on that feed and the boxing ability where Aldana can provide that. My counter question, just the same to you, Luke, the expert of the two of us, is is this just that? A refreshing, dangerous, maybe arguably one of the sneaky, toughest title defenses of Amanda Nunes' 135 run? Or did we learn certain things from Aldana deficiency-wise against Holly Holm just two fights ago or three fights ago that that we can't forget here i'm not really sure i mean one of the interesting things about aldana's record you mentioned the holly holm fight that was a five-round contest and holm got a takedown in every single round there was no round where she was unable to secure a takedown now, sometimes she held it for 30 seconds sometimes she was able to hold the position for two minutes that varied and it wasn't ever super long but to your point, like, dude, that was a really dominant display. How about Macy? Ch Again, I can never say her last name. Jason, Luke. Jason. She had success with a takedown, too, as well as, I thought, some Southpaw boxing positions on top of it. So it's like, what do we say about the home fight? It's only three fights ago, but it was three years ago. So that might play a role. I think that's part of it. On the other hand, maybe these are some deficiencies that, you know, her style looks good. But like, you know, something shows up in the numbers, BC, which is like, for example, I think I have them here. I'll pull them up in just a second. Yeah, they're, they're right here. So if you just look at the strikes landed per minute, strikes absorbed per minute, Amanda Nunes 4.4, which is a little on the higher side for strikes landed, 2.75. So that's pretty good. She doesn't take a big amount of damage per fight, or at least per minute of a fight anyway, statistically speaking. Aldana, 5.39 landed. So she's dishing at a, at a much more noticeable rate. On the other hand, listen to this. Strikes absorbed per minute, 5.71. So, you know, she has a style that looks really technical. And I do think on certain matchups, you really see that, like the Ketlin Vieira fight, for example. But on the other hand, dude, she gets hit a lot. And if you get hit a lot when you're not employing, I think, your skills in the appropriate context, which is where she gets into trouble, dude, someone like a man is going to blow the doors off of you. So, like, I think what you have seen and what other people have seen is that Aldana definitely has some things behind the jab, behind good footwork, behind some clever boxing, changing up targets, breaking patterns. 
that you could see giving Amanda Nunez a lot of problems. On the other hand, Amanda Nunez, a much better overall wrestler slash grappler, at least on top anyway, that might play a role. Heavy-handed, that's going to play a role. Experience against all kinds of strikers, that's going to play a role. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. Well, it's a good one. I'm happy we're having it. I think I'm just trying to figure out, like a lot of people, how tough might this matchup actually be? Because there are levels, and this division is not deep. There's the elites, which has certainly been Amanda, Holly Holm, and Jermaine Durandamy in recent years, uh, along with obviously that one-off upset win from uh, Pena. But the level below that, has it's a sharp decline. It's a monster decline. We have had, yes, Aldana entering on, on a nice hot streak. Three wins in her last four, counting that loss to home. All three by knockout, but it is the, the levels in this case of can she make that leap or did we just see that close-up in 2019 and the deficiencies on the ground of where she could be vulnerable? Um, I think you nailed it. The technical boxing that she shows in, in matchups on paper where she could potentially hold an advantage, she looks absolutely brilliant. But I think we're watching Amanda Nunes coming fresh off the rematch against Pena, in which I thought she took her boxing to an entirely different level by coming out southpaw, by constantly switching stances and much more fluid than normal, and mostly by her ability to keep uh, Pena at distance and taking advantage of the deficiency in technique between them. Now, Aldana certainly has better technique than, than uh, Pena, but... When Aldana fought an elite striker in home, it wasn't just the takedowns in the ground that ultimately lost her that five-round decision. Holly Holm did a great job with push kicks and counter punches of holding that distance, which Amanda just did. So, Luke, if this was – look, when we talk about storylines, and I write a storylines piece ahead of every UFC pay-per-view, we're sort of looking at the what about this, what about this, the narratives, the stories. One of them, of course, is where is Amanda Nunes at her age, being younger than Aldana but having more mileage. But Luke, having rewatched the first two uh, Pena fights, she still got it. She's still there. I think we saw that in the rematch against Pena. I think the the excuses for and the justifications for why she was so flat and completely imploded in that first fight are just that justified. I don't think that narrative is something I'm worried about. The age, the focus, the eye of the tiger. Does she still have it? She just had an emotional, thorough, dominant win to show us that. It is going to be up to Aldana to raise her game to levels that we have not seen yet. But in her favor, Luke, is the momentum she's on with the knockout, with the three knockouts and the four fights. And obviously the, the, the overall boost of Mexican MMA. She is in that camp every single day with Alexa Grasso, who just shocked the world against Valentina Shevchenko and proved that she is of this elite nature. What does all of that and the lessons learned and the loss to home play into the hands of Aldana coming into this matchup? When we look at the odds, Luke, I want to tell you what Vegas thinks about it. I want to tell you that right now. If only I could find it, Luke. Here we go. Uh, according to our friends at Caesars, minus 330 for Nunes, plus 260 for Aldana. Luke, is that about right to you? Seems a little on the high end. I, I think that you're right that there was certainly in the redemptive performance by Nunez against Pena, switching stances the way she did going to Southpaw. To me, that wasn't an answer to the problem of the first fight in a direct sense. It was a way around the problem, which was she was just getting jabbed to death and didn't really have an answer for it. Now, again, there were some circumstances about taking the fight and whether or not she was fully healthy, had the right camp, blah, blah, blah which did not show up in the second fight. So there's a series of factors, I want to be clear. But in the fight itself, 
one of the issues was she just kept running into Pena's jab. Pena was getting her head off the center line, and it was just caused constant problems. Well, and then the more we, times, I don't want to belabor, but can we just hit that one point right there? She had a knee injury in that training camp, so she that did. Hurt. But you know, listen, if, listen, it hurt her mobility. She was not able to come into the shape she wanted to. So you're saying, why did she take the fight? One of it, she admitted she thought she would win anyway because she didn't hold Pena to a high standard. The other one is that we can't overlook. She got so roasted by Dana when she missed weight and pulled out of the uh, the rematch with Shevchenko, which they eventually rescheduled, that I feel like she felt she was in a spot where she had to go through with it, whether that's her fault or not, whether that's true or not. And Luke, she's running into those jabs and getting exhausted. Technique didn't matter at that point. She was a, she was a walking mess. She fixed that. That's over. That conversation. No, over. not really. She fixed that. I mean, I'm with you on the knee injury thing impacting a lot of different things. And I get also I get like, I'm not surprised that she took the first Pena fight in the sense that like, hey, I might be banged up a little bit, but I can probably just get through it. I, I, I get that part. I noodle that. And I know what you're saying about the knee injury getting right with the second camp, having a better game plan. Fair enough. But this is all the movement we're talking about here. It's slipping as you throw as someone throws or slipping while you throw. That's just not a, like it's a it's a it seems like an obvious thing when you watch boxing. A lot of MMA fighters aren't very good at it and don't do it. She doesn't do it. And in fact, when you saw her go back to orthodox in the second fight, she had the exact same problem. So, like, to me, that's not cleaning up the issue more than it is just working around it. And again, quite successfully, because even from Southpaw, she boxed Pena's ears off. How many times did she drop her? I lost count. I don't even know what the yeah. numbers are. But it's not the same thing as like I'm going to fix what the old problem was. I didn't. I, well, see I that. don't think there were problems, Luke, because she's so well-rounded, and obviously she's so super elite in, in from the idea of punching power and her technique. And, and look, hold, and, let me just let me just see if I understand your position. Is your argument that she was running into Pena's jab by no technical fault, simply due to injury? Okay, not not saying no technical fault at all. I'm just saying the combination of her not being mentally and physically where she needed to be with the lack of movement from the knee injury mixed with Juliana Pena, and this is where I give her obvious, obvious credit, had the night and fight of her life through sheer determination. I think once she surprised Amanda by starting to get off early with clean punches, Amanda got rattled in ways I don't believe she would have and ultimately imploded if she had had a full camp, had the confidence in her knee and everything. I still think she is pretty far ahead from almost everybody in this division, GDR being the exception in that rematch. And I think she's still at that level was my point. I don't think I was wrong to say that Pena didn't deserve to be in that fight and that we should have expected it to be one-sided. You brought a nice light of, hey guys, hold on, BBL or not, like nobody actually knows this is going to be a run through. Let's get like, you know, so you were almost sage and on point, but it took extreme circumstances for that to happen. She did not lose that fight because she didn't move her head enough or had technical flaws in the jab. That was a nightmare camp. She should not have taken that fight. Yeah, I don't That's agree with that. That's what happened. And she, well, what then what happened in the rematch, Luke? Because she cleaned all that shit up pretty quick. She right? didn't do. We'd just been over this. She had to switch stance because she couldn't clean it up. That's the whole point. Rather than fix what's happening here, she just said, fuck it, we're just going to go here, and that's going to change the entire striking dynamics so this position is no longer even relevant. Dude, one of the problems with not being able to get your head off the center line when you jab, if you want to rage into it and just try to overpower the other person, it only makes it worse. That's exactly what happened. So to me, I'm, I'm, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that the knee injury, we had a lesser Amanda, and the difference in the second fight tells you everything you need to know about that. Fair enough. 
but show me the other fights where you saw significant head movement slipping and then countering at the same time when she jabs from Amanda Nunez's record. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. It's a weakness of hers. As good as she is, and she is the best I've ever seen, basically, uh, on the women's game, that is a weakness. It's a Can noted you one, a and it's been a continuous one. Because I respect your analysis, and I respect my white belt limits. What about the chess match she won in the second fight with Shevchenko? Even though you and I scored that for Shevchenko, it was as close as you could get. She did not suffer from technical flaws. Obviously, that the narrative of that fight was more about how her gas tank was top shelf. Yeah. We got rid of the thoughts of what happened against, uh, uh, you know, Katsangano. We're past that. I thought technically she she swam well in that one, Luke. Um, I'd have to go back and watch the second. I, of the tape I've watched, I've skipped that one, so I don't have it fresh on the mind. Perhaps there's a stronger argument there. I don't know. I don't I don't know yeah. have a I don't have a strong You punted on you. third down and you know it. All right. All right. But the point being is she definitely turned things around in the second fight. And listen, a champion just figures out ways to win. Sometimes by cleaning it up, sometimes by hook or by crook, but they figure out ways to win. I go back to Fujita hitting Fedor in the stomach. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Uh, rocking Fedor with the punch and Fedor just having to find a way to hold on and he eventually won. That's what champions do. They find ways to win and she did and it was pretty remarkable in the end. The thing is, I just don't know if it'll come to that in this fight. It's like, listen, Aldana has good head movement but when you go side to side like that a lot, you open up kicks. I mean, think about what she did to Holly Holm, right? Which was separate. It was a little bit further apart. You know, I don't know what kind of range this one's going to be in because Holm's got more dynamic kicks and plays more at that range than Aldana does so that changes it a little bit but like you know you start doing heavy side to side shit you're going to get lit up doing that and more to the point man just going back to it I don't think Aldana has bad takedown defense and I don't think that like um she can't get up but I wonder if it's on par enough to keep Nunez striking. And even if it is, yeah. is that even really a good idea? There's I do a lot agree of problems that, there. that that's a big part of this fight. Because from the tape I saw, Luke, Holm seemed to take her down with ease. Yes, there were times when Aldana saw the shot coming, was able to you know, back up against the fence and, and, and really work well in the clinch to defend it. But a lot of times Hollywood would throw a punch, duck and duck in for that, for that double leg that uh, Irene did not even see coming. I do believe there's a part of this game plan for Amanda that should and could center upon taking her down to establish the threat to make her striking more emphatic. But then in the time she's in top position, try to establish some ground and pound and some danger and some top control. But if not, just plant that seed and let it be in there. This is not Juliana Pena where that's her strength, so you wouldn't want to go into it. Or even GDR who gave uh, Nunes some significant trouble there. Uh I wonder if this could be something that it, that she finds success on, but this is where the three years removed from the home fight for Aldana, where has she made those advancements? The problem is, Luke, not her fault, but the problem is what Aldana has done before and after that home fight, while impressive for the standards of this division, may not have accurately prepared when you consider, yes, knocked out Ketlin Vieta, and that was a great one, especially when Vieta came back and edged out Holly Holm in the decision, stopped Konitskaya, and stops Macy uh, Chazan. So good wins. But did those show you enough of exactly where her game is actually at to be a threat against Amanda? We don't know. That's why I like this fight on Saturday, and I'm interested in it. But she is going to have to truly make that leap, Luke. Do you think we are really overlooking the potential growth that she could have shown on the ground there, considering what Grasso just did on the ground and being so advantageous, her teammate, and shocking us with a choke out of the great Shevchenko? It, I, I, um, 
listen, here's the thing. This is the point I, I made against Pena, and I think it's even more relevant here. Dude, a lot of times you'll look at a matchup and you'll see like a long reigning champion. Like what was one of DJ's tougher fights in his reign, or at least certainly more grueling fights? It was the Tim Elliott fight. You know, would you say that Tim Elliott is the best guy that DJ fought? Not necessarily. In other words, like he was being a weight bully in that one. Obviously, he's not really a natural flyweight. He's much more of a natural bantamweight. But you get the idea. He made the weight, and he was it was a problem for DJ. He, he, he solved it, but it was difficult for him. And so, but for different reasons, sometimes guys look at like who this person is and what they've done, and they're just like, well, there's really no way to make this work against someone who is this good. But dude, Pena, excuse me. Nunez, we'll talk about the angle about her family and whether or not she's in a different place in her life now and to what extent that affects her. But more to the point, all Aldana has to do is slightly raise the level of her game while Nunez just be a little bit off at certain things or just not have the right game plan up front, and the whole thing can switch. It really doesn't require a lot for a seemingly overmatched title contender, especially as experienced as this one, to have just enough luck to turn the corner. It, yeah, you know, and, and I do think that it's not just the punching power of Aldana that makes her your atypical title defense for Amanda here, meaning more danger. I loved, they played a lot in the countdown show. It came from that press conference uh, announcing this fight. You remember that question that media member asked Aldana where they said, what advantages do you think you bring to Nunes oh, that I'm Mexican? wouldn't have? And she looked in the camera, as you said, and said, I'm Mexican and smiled. And, you know, we could take that as, you know, machismo there, but I think with the success of the nation, the iron sharpening iron there at the Lobo Gym in Guadalajara. Uh, <laughs> it, could that be something, Luke? I mean, sometimes yeah. momentum matters. Hunger matters. Look at Pena. She does not win that fight, uh, the first one, even with Amanda's issues, if she's not willing to take all those big shots on the chin and just walk through no matter what. Are we and the better, the betting oddsman, Luke, underestimating the potential hunger of Aldana? Think that comment. Because I'm Mexican, does that matter? Is that different in this matchup? I think it can. Um, there's a lot happening here. So on the one hand, she's been training with Grasso since day one, right? Who just won a title. That brings a certain level of prestige and honor to their journey and the, the, the gym more generally. This gym, Lobo Gym, uh, shouts to Danny Segura. If you've never seen his video, uh, the Mujeres of Lobo Gym, the ladies of Lobo Gym. This has been a gym in Mexico, somewhat ahead of its time, basically, and not only being a, a gym that produces strong outcomes for its fighters, but being a welcoming home to female fighters, not just from Mexico, but from Spanish-speaking Latin, really more than Spanish-speaking Latin America more generally. Alejandro, Alejandro Lada from Bellator, Luke. Yeah, exactly, and not just her. There's been some other ones along the way as well. This has really been a place that has carved its own path, set on its own destiny, and Grasso being the first one across the finish line to get that UFC title. I think that, you know, part of the Mexican spirit, part of the gym spirit, part of her competitor, or I should say her compatriot spirit, I, I am a believer that that stuff can lift you. I am a believer that that kind of stuff can really, again, all that has to happen is extra motivation, the game plan has to work early, someone has to be off a little bit on the other side, and I know the odds are far apart. I think they're a little bit unfair in that sense because I do recognize Nunez, Definitely more experienced at the high level and certainly more skilled overall. I think that's pretty fair. Plus, I would say a, probably a heavier puncher of the two on top of it. But nevertheless, I don't think I don't think that um, Aldana is so far apart that with a motivated performance, however you want to ascribe it to, I do think that could raise her in a pretty significant way, sure. 
Sometimes that matters. No. And, and sometimes Luke, with, but then again, we're, we're also, I don't know. We're also, look, I didn't think Rosso could beat Shevchenko straight up, right? Unless Valentina made a huge mistake, unless she was cut, unless there, you know, the Death Star imploded in some on just way you never imagined. I didn't think that was possible. I do give Aldana more chance on paper than I gave Grasso of straight up beating Amanda. Do you think that's a fair statement? I mean, are you talking about if 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 she does this, it's not because Amanda has lost focus or didn't train enough. Like she's gonna have to. I, I believe she's gonna have to go in there and beat the best version that that's there of this champ of the lioness. Can she do that straight up in your eyes the same way that Grasso did? Yeah, and you know what I mean by straight up. Think Weidman losing to Rockhold, right? Monster mistake that set that up. Chael yeah. versus Anderson too. Obviously, the pressure is what makes the mistake happen. But outside of that, could you see her beating her straight up? Yes. Like, boy, I, I answer that question like this. This won't happen, so there's no way to really know. But I don't think of it as could it happen. The question is, if they fought 10 times, how many times could it happen? Three of 10, right? Something like that. Um, maybe less, two times out of 10. So for me, it's like, is that the likeliest one that would happen on Saturday? Beating her straight up, no. I think you really would have to get Amanda. I mean, again, going back to the Pena fight, knee issue, whatever technical issues, whatever, lots of factors at play. But to your point, she got pissed and made bad decisions in the fight, which Pena was just kind of able to overcome in the end. So like, can Aldana bring Nunes to make poor decisions in the middle of the fight. If that happens, shit, all bets are off at that point. Yeah. Truly, I And mean look, that. she has the power to increase the likelihood of that happening, meaning sometimes, you know, getting tagged can put somebody on tilt, can bring out the exhaustion and all that. Um, does she have the hunger to push this, you know, deep into the fourth, fifth round and, and do something big late? Yeah, she does. She does. I just questioned the, the ground game, Luke. What is she going to be able to add to this fight from a ground standpoint but will that even matter? Because it's not like you would say Amanda is dominant on the ground. You, you, you broke it down earlier. If she has an advantage, she can use it. But she's not really going out of her way to bring fights to the ground. Well, yes and no. I mean, to your point, like the last time we really saw her lean on it was the GDR fight. And she needed it there. Like she straight up was losing on the feet. She needed it there. Okay, fair enough. I think she's executed. I think I read somewhere she's got um like uh 30 plus takedowns in the ufc which is a fair amount over the course of her career listen at times she can be a heavy ground and pound force at times she can be a heavy like press you against the fence and just kind of drag you down and slow the fight down force it's a question of like what aldana can get away with what like gdr had nothing for her on the ground Aldana's going to be a little trickier underneath but not so much of a submission threat i don't think remember uh, Nunez, black belt in jiu-jitsu, right? So she's obviously very good there as well. Um, it, it's, again, I feel like in a few really important ways, Nunez is just better in a lot of spots. But the question is, is like, where is she in her career? How seriously did she take this? Where is her mindset at? Now, it's kind of funny. Along those lines, uh, Anthony Smith spoke to Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour, and he made a point. I don't know if we're going to be able to play it. Um, I think we're not going to be able, able to. We're not able to play it, but I, we have the quote if you'd like me to read it. Yes, please read the quote from Smith to Ariel. This is regarding the mindset of Nunez, given what's happened in her life. All right. Smith said, it's a very weird sentiment I have. Sometimes when I see her in these fights and these interviews, and she's dragged her whole family there to fight week, and then she gets in and fights, sometimes I almost feel bad for her. 
Like just go enjoy your life and just go have fun. Like stop doing all this shit because a lot of times she doesn't seem to always enjoy it that much. I don't know. I just feel like she's in a position where she can just, there's so much. She has a whole lifetime ahead of her. Uh, Smith would go on to say, and she's done so much. And again, like what else do you have to prove? I just almost look forward to her to be able to just go off and just do something else great. I know that sounds weird. I mean, I'm in a real, in a really positive way. I mean that in a real positive way. I just want her to be happy. Um, I don't know. I don't, look, I don't know. And I don't think Smith has any, you know, uh, negative, uh, inferences in there. He's just saying, you know, maybe, maybe look, she's already, what else can you accomplish? I do agree with that. If Kayla Harrison's not coming through that door and we don't have some super fight at women's heavyweight or, you know, all these things we can concoct, I don't know necessarily what's keeping her here beyond the fact that she can still do this. There's good money and she's really happy. Look, I watched the countdown show. She looks really, really, really happy. Young Reagan goes everywhere with them. Nina, uh, Nina Nunes, her wife, uh, formerly Ansarov, is pregnant with her second child. A big part of that countdown show was her buying some property in Brazil out in the countryside with horses as like a family retreat for her extended family. We got to meet her mom and sister, and it was just like this wholesome thing. I don't feel that personally that the one foot out the door narrative is in is in the case here. Now you can say she had extra, extra, extra motivation to pour it all out in the rematch with Pena because she lost her title and lost her invincibility. Yes. I always felt though, that that was a matchup that if things were even, it wouldn't be even. We saw that. I don't think that's going to be the case in this part. And I don't think Anthony Smith was trying to say it negative, but you know, in the same pre preview packages from UFC, we're seeing Benny Dariush, who's got a big fight in this co-main event, bringing around his wife and kids, and saying almost like, I have to do this. This is this is better for me. He's taking them to the park in Vancouver and walking them all around. It's it's athlete to athlete. Look at the Andre Ward documentary on Showtime that just came out. That's fantastic. For him, it was like, I have to go home every day after camp. I can't be out like secluded and getting all angry. I have to still be that person. You know, I think Amanda's fine in that regard. It is interesting though, to Luke, to talk about. I think what what is left to accomplish and what what does that end up leading to her taking a loss too early? I mean, she just did, by the way, but against Pena, but she repaired it. I just have questions about the whole two division title thing. And I'm Let not me just say one thing very quickly, and I want to pitch it back to you on the two title thing. Just that for me, I agree with you that it is very fighter dependent when you have the families there. Um, a lot of fighters do it. Some don't. It really is up to them. But the ones that do, some of them really benefit from it, and maybe others do to a lesser extent. I don't know. The one difference between Dariush in this particular case with his wife and kid and Amanda is that, dude, Amanda came here. She grew up desperately poor. She came here, was poor, and she has achieved everything basically that a, a prize fighter can achieve in the amount of time that she's been competing. She has, she has vastly increased her wealth. She has etched her name into stone in terms of one of the greatest fighters of all time. She has won titles in the UFC, defended them multiple times, beaten all who's who. And now she returns to, she's still this year, but I mean, she has the space in Brazil, as you mentioned, with the horses and everything else was on the countdown show. It's this really beautiful life that she has made for herself. My personal view is when you get to that life stage, when it's not just that you have these family members around you, but that you've built security, you've built change. Dariush has done well for himself, but he hasn't quite built that. He hasn't built that I'm at the next stage, the true panel, the true ultimate stage. He's at the pen ultimate stage. And I think that changes motive that I should say this, that can very much change on person to person, how much true hunger they have left. I mean, dude, when you have money and you have family and you have tranquility, 
dude, this is the, this is, this is, this is happiness. This is true happiness. And when you really have that in your life, it, it does something to you as a person. It changes you a little bit. Uh, the only question is, has it changed her as a competitor? We'll find out on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair to say we're going to find that out uh, quickly. Luke on the idea of Amanda still being a two division champion. I, I think it's time. Now we start saying out loud, like, what are we doing here? Amanda has not defended the featherweight title in 27 months, just over two years from when she uh, stopped Megan Anderson. That was March of 2021. We know that there has never been UFC women's featherweight rankings on the UFC ranking page ever. Going back to when this div division started, I believe the first featherweight fight was the end of 20 or was it the first title fight was GDR in, in home, right? In, in Brooklyn. When, but I think there was a first fight before 2016, 2017, around there. Luke, since that fight more than two years ago, there has been nine featherweight bouts in the UFC. And I'm not counting scheduled bantamweight fights, and there have been a lot of them where somebody missed weight or somebody, you know, whatever, and we had to do a catchweight. There were nine scheduled featherweight bouts since then. In doing the research of who were in those fights, I personally believe there's only three fighters in this division right now at 145 pounds in the UFC. There's Amanda Nunes, the champion, who hasn't fought there in over two years. There's Norma Dumont, who has fought there four times in the past two years. And then there's newcomer Josiane, I'm probably butchering her name, but Josiane Nunes, the power, you know, she's, she's showed a lot lately. She has won both of her fights in that division since then. The rest of them have involved fighters who are no longer in the UFC anymore. Think like Felicia Spencer in 2021, or it has involved one-offs where we had women's bantamweight fighters try one fight at featherweight. In this case, is Stephanie Edgar, Jocelyn Edwards. They won, but they went back down to bantamweight afterwards. All of the opponents that they beat, Luke, every single one of them aren't in the UFC anymore. Or they have, like I said, going back down to Bantamweight. This is not a division. This is not a division at all. So Dana always ultimately says, you know, when they say, how long are you going to, you know, because Dana didn't make Amanda pick which title to hold like, like they made Connor, like they've, you know, made other people, DC. This was this case where he always says, as long as she's willing to fight, we're willing to do this. This is not to, to crap on Amanda, but this division, the second division is smoke and mirrors. If we're not getting Kayla Harrison and making women's heavyweight, and a reminder, Kayla said, I can make 145 if I have to. I can't make it consistently. Um, can we shut this down, Luke? Should yeah. we shut this down? I mean, I, they could just as easily, by the way, have Amanda defend against either Norma Dumont, who is uh, Norma is 5-2 and two in the UFC and is riding a couple fight win streak. Josiane Nunes is 3-0 in the UFC, but has won two fights at, at women's featherweight. You could easily do Amanda against either one, I guess, to keep it going. But what are we doing here overall? Why is this keep? Why is this here with the, I, no rankings and no consistency? Yeah, I think that they kept it around for a while to um, – maybe they had different plans. And I think now what it looks like is they'll sunset this when Amanda goes. They're just going to keep it around as like a ceremony or trophy or thank you or some kind of nod. And then when she goes, they'll just they'll sunset it there. But I don't think they're going to take away the belt while she's still active. That's my best read. OK, but look here with full respect, her knocking out Cyborg is why she's the goat. That was the giant, you know, whipped cream and, and cherry on top. Right. Mm -hmm. That's as a legitimate as a win as you could have. There's been no division since then, Luke. Everyone she's defended against is gone. Is, is there an overrated element? Even while still being the, the women's GOAT, is there an overrated element at all to her two-division title status? 
Sure. Sure. Yes. I'm, I don't mind saying that. It's not the same. Um, but this is not her fault. I mean, if you wanted to dock her saying, what does it realistically mean relative to any other two-way world champion? Fine. But like, she's not the one who can control what the UFC does at women's 145. So I get your point that there's a little bit of empty calories with it all. And fair enough. I don't think that's in any way unfair. But ultimately, it's like, hey, if you want me to fight 145, I'll do it. They're just not really doing it from what I can tell. So, yeah. I mean, look, they're not doing it at all. Unfortunately, Amanda only fought one la once last year, and that was the rematch with Pena, and I believe they did the Ultimate Fighter coaching gig, unless I'm incorrect in that. So that may have uh, played into that. But, you know, yes, she's she's fought somewhat consistently, but she only fought once in 2020 with COVID. Uh, so I don't know. It just feels weird that we're continuing this down on this road. Bantamweight, we do have a couple of names that are interesting. There's there's a little bit of life there at least, but yeah. yeah. That's all I got on that. All right, let's talk about topic number two, which, of course, is that co-main event that the fans seem to love more than anything else, namely Charles Oliveira taking on Benil Dariush. I could not find any odds at Best Fight Odds except from the time they were supposed to fight previously, and they had Dariush both in the minus, or I should say the minus or plus 100 range. Dariush is a very, very slight favorite, ultimately. BC, same kind of question to you. We obviously know what's on the line here. Winner, certainly in Dariush's case, if he gets the job done, is going to get a title shot. He was supposed to fight Islam Makachev and then ultimately ended up having to pull out. Bobby Green pull, uh, took that slot. So some of the folks were like, oh, Makachev's not that good before the Oliveira fight. Then he kind of overperformed. We're dealing with a surging Dariush who had a very tough fight against Mateus Gamrat and won. Oliveira coming off of that Makachev loss, a lot of factors in play. What stand out to you as the most important ones? The most important what? Factors in play in this matchup, Luke? Yeah, like to determine who gets the W. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, I love the, first of all, I just love this fight. It's 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 the jewel of this card, which is, I mean, it's in, it's in consideration among the worst pay-per-view cards in modern history. But this fight is so great within such a great division. And it's one of those rare sort of moments where both have like so much at stake for their own personal lot at the moment. So I think that that those storylines and the, the focus, the intensity, the, the like passion, that's all going to come together for not just an exciting fight, but a fight that could affect the way this plays out because of those things. And what I mean is Charles Oliveira has talked so much about that title loss being one bad night. Look at the totality of his reinvention, the blonde hair, the finishing ability, the fact that he walks right into, into conflict and creates it and then you know is the one swimming in the end. This is his chance certainly to fix that glitch, be right back where it needs to belong. And for Darius, he's, he's that next guy in line who has been in line forever but has such a lunch pail side to the way he works and looks at it that he always says, I'll, I'll, I'll fight 10 more number one contender fights if I have to, to get to this point. Well, it's not just the eight fight win streak and recently certainly stepping up the quality of those with the Tony Ferguson win and the uh, Mateus Gamra, but look, he had a broken leg in between and missed out on what would have been that close up against Mahachev, the one that Bobby Green ultimately got where he missed almost two years. So he's been through it and he's at this point. But skill for skill, Luke, and especially if Charles Oliveira can succeed in doing what he normally does, which is bringing the fight to you right away, how likely are Darius's chances here? I think um, you asked me what, what, what could be the difference here. I want you to tell me what could be the difference here, Luke, if you believe pretty high. Like when we talk about Bilal Muhammad, what have we missed? Why did we sleep on him? Why did why why are why are we still sleeping on Benil Darius to some degree 
although a lot have changed in this regard. And how does that factor into this matchup? I'd rather ask you that question. Yeah, I'm not. I favor him to win. I favor him to win. Um, the biggest difference, and this sounds kind of silly, it's like who's got better offensive jiu-jitsu? Well, in pure jiu-jitsu terms, Dariush actually went a little bit further. But in MMA, you'd probably go Oliveira, right? Just such a dynamic force and submissions on all different kinds of fighters. Um, and I think that's pretty fair. But it's going to be very hard to make good use of that against Dariush. Although, certainly, we've seen Michael Chiesa do it. I think that's a very different Darius than what we have today. But nevertheless, he does have some deficiencies in his record. But here's really, to me, the big difference. Trevor Whitman talks about it all the time, and I always mention Trevor Whitman when I make this point, which is, dude, sometimes these guys are all very closely matched. And, yeah, they'll have different sort of signatures about what they do, but there really isn't some dynamic edge that one guy holds over the other one. I would say, in general, both of these guys are very capable in so many different dimensions. Not identically, but how good are they there? They're really good. Oliveira makes a lot of mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. And I just think against the old Dariush, maybe up until the close fight, you know, that might be something that would be usable. And maybe it'll be usable in this contest too. But the more recent Dariush to me just looks like he is making much, much better decisions about what to do, where the fight should be, shot location, strike lo uh, the choice. His fight IQ has really started to match his overall technical skill set. And, you know, you you have you, you mentioned Oliveira brings the fight to people. Yeah, he brought the fight to Makachev. What did that get him? It didn't get him much, dude. That like when he, One of his favorite things, I did a whole breakdown of the blueprint on his game, he loves to run and do jumping switch knees to push guys back along the fence. And like guys who aren't really up for it sometimes can get overwhelmed. Kevin Lee would be a great example. Makachev just didn't even play that game. He either got out of the way or intercepted him along, and it worked to a T. Like Makachev... That was a relatively easy performance for him, all things being equal. Not because Oliveira is not good. Oliveira is amazing. But because he takes such risk, he makes a lot of poor decisions, and that means he makes mistakes. And as a consequence, dude, a guy like Dariush is going to be punishing and unforgiving. Well, okay, um, so yeah, I like Dariush's chances here. That's interesting. And, and I like the way you break that down. You're going to have to be poised on the level Mahachev was to not fall for those those you know, not fall for the bait of coming in and, and trading with him and, and, and allowing the terms of the fight to become chaotic. Mahachev did that with poise, patience. He's also got a great chin, but also, Luke, the big part of that was his counter-striking with that left cross was, was, was huge to set up what he was looking to do and kind of push back on that. Let's talk Dariusha's striking in that regard. You see him following similar game plans of trying to just stay poised, stay calm, try to push him away, try to keep him at distance, and try to regain the terms of that. Does he have the striking to be able to do that in your eyes? Uh, you know, the question when you – so whenever a fighter has a bad loss, you always wonder – okay, let me let me point uh, – let me uh, be more specific. When they have a dominant loss and it ends with a really bad, like, KO or something, you always wonder if they're going to exactly be the same afterwards. Now, we didn't get that here. We got a submission. So I don't think we're in that territory. But there is, to me, a bit of an open question, assuming Charles doesn't make changes, which he might, but assuming he doesn't make substantive ones, how much was the Makachev win a blueprint? So here's what I mean specifically. If I'm Dariush, now Dariush is a sort of a come-forward kind of guy at times, right? He's got that... Rafael Cordero Muay Thai style on the feet, which can be very, very devastating, especially as a come-forward guy. But one of the bigger lessons from the Makachev fight was, dude, just let him come to you. Let him come to you. And when you do that, he just makes all kinds of openings, all kinds of mistakes. 
and Makachev just took advantage of it. If I'm Dariush, I got to wonder, do I want to let this guy make the approach? Because, like, honestly, who's better at wrestling? Pure wrestling, I'm going to say Dariush. After that Gamrot fight, I don't think there's really any doubt about that. Pure MMA grappling slash jiu-jitsu, again, probably slight edge towards Charles Oliveira, just by how nimble he can achieve positions, and we've seen some back issues before. A long time ago, but back issues with Dariush. So there could be a difference there. But if Dariush gets on top or gets to the back or gets a waist or something like that, dude, he's he's going to be a nightmare for Charles Oliveira. Sure. So to me, the real big question is, um, has Charles Oliveira taken the right lessons from the Makachev fight to just be a – dude, not, I'm not talking a massive change. Dial back the intensity from a nine to a seven and a half where you're in the guy's face, but you're not overcommitting positionally. You're not changing amplitude. You're not changing high levels by jumping in the air with your arms wide open. And you're not doing the dumb shit that gives the fight away a little bit. You do that. And I think Dariush has a much more of an uphill climb, especially if he decides to fight on the back foot. I agree. I agree. That's going to be the key part of it because let's look at this 11 fight win streak from Oliveira. I was late to coming around to fully believing that he could pull this off because of the high danger he puts himself in. And I think to some degree, a lot of us were maybe still holding him to the image that we used to know him as particularly in the higher weight class or in the lower weight class, excuse me, when, when he wasn't the same force and had trouble making it, Luke. But of this 11-fight streak, the final five are obviously the big ones. All finishes over names we know and love, Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, and Justin Gaethje. I think we could say... Although all elite, those guys or, or, or sub elite or, or, you know, future champion Kevin Lee's case just being dangerous, we can certainly say those guys took the bait because that's who they are. But if there was somebody that maybe didn't take it fully or still provided a challenge, it was Poirier. And look at the adjustment Oliveira made there by turning into a wrestler and by being still very aggressive, but also grimy, you know, sitting on top, covering the mouth of Poirier, just trying to constantly put on that, uh, that, that pressure like a gnat and just be all over him. I think that there is an, an in-between potentially. I don't, it doesn't have to be all or nothing for Doe Bronx. If he can find that Luke, that's what's going to be interesting because I, I wonder, especially hearing you talk up Darius's chances here, is he, the, is he the wrong matchup? Does he have some of those Mahachev qualities that, that could change this fight if he doesn't take that bait and he's able to keep that distance and he's able to constantly matador the bull and, and, and keep it to that regard? Um, most people took the bait, whether, whether because they love it or because they got tagged and it was there. But uh, let's also give Charles Oliveira a chance to show us exactly what he did against Poirier could happen again, Luke. Maybe not the same because of the difference in wrestling abilities, but what I'm saying is, He's also going to have to step up and be flexible and, and, and make key and big adjustments here. So, Luke, if this thing goes deep, but there's a three-round fight, to be fair, right? It's just three, yep. Who do you favor late in this one? Does the three-round element make it a track meet potential the whole time? <sighs> Hard to have a track meet with Oliveira. Like, if he wants to grab a hold of you, he typically finds a way, right? <laughs> so... There's that. Um, I do think it'd be a different fight if it was five rounds versus three. Um, I tend to think, I again, I tend to think that the close fight with Dariush, and maybe you can say the Holtzman fight to an extent, were something of a bookend, and he's just been a lot more thoughtful of late. So I think, man, it's a good question, dude. I think for those reasons, um, 
he can follow the Makachev blueprint a little bit, right? Because or some of the some of the things you're mentioning that Makachev has anyway. Uh, for example, Makachev just doesn't get hit a lot. Just doesn't get hit a lot. I don't think these are quite at Makachev's numbers, but Benil Dariush strikes of sword per minute just two point five five. That's very low, very low. Now I know you you can when you think Dariush, you think some of his losses like the Barboza knockout where he got viciously one need or you know the close fight was kind of crazy. But over the course of his career and or even Hernandez sleeping him right, that's other parts too. But I just feel like the Dariush we have now isn't just more technically skilled and a veteran who understands when to go, when to break, all that kind of stuff. But just more to the point is just overall capable about making much better decisions about what to do against the right opponents in the right circumstances, both from the beginning of the fight to the end. So who do I favor later? I favor Dariush later. I do. I think Oliveira is going to have definitely spirited moments. You might find him taking the back or landing a huge shot or rocking him. Like that, that seems very much in play. But who's going to be there late to kind of be in the other guy's face? Dariush is my best guess. Yeah, I mean, Dariush has some of these stingy. I mean, look, when we miss a guy, when we miss on truly identifying somebody's elite greatness when they're coming up, and then we tend to pick against them because, you know, could you imagine that guy getting the victory? Yeah, there were elements of the, of the, uh, fight for for Muhammad last time out against Gilbert Burns with the short notice that sort of changed that but damn Muhammad just dug in and was stingy as shit good defense good stamina still bringing the fight this is going to have to be Darius leaping into an area a new area in some level in the regard because of the danger of Oliveira but Luke he was stingy and technical against Gamrot last time out too and I believe that fight went five rounds correct yeah, uh, that was just three, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, three let me round fight, check UFC that. 280, the, correct. Yeah, it was just three. Yes, three-round decision. But nevertheless, I mean, there was a lot of activity. Gamrock got four takedowns, only of 19. And uh, for four takedowns, the total control time was two minutes, which means <coughs> he had 10 seconds of control time in round two, 35 seconds of control time in round three, and then 122 in round one. But part of that was just against the fence. Like... Dariush won that contest and Gamrot is a balls out wrestler you know that as well as I do sure. you know I just feel like Dariush has just is going to have a lot of good options about where to put this fight when you combine that with how good his jujitsu is as well um it's a how, tough how, fight, how's dude. Dariush in chaos if if Oliveira succeeds in making this wild and, and again a reminder that's th that's three rounds and not five which could speed up the 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 urgency in him to do that I think Oliveira is better be in chaos. Endure, Luke. Yeah. It's not just able to endure. It's to endure and adjust and keep your head and be able to stay in fights. Through. Yeah, I, again, the close fight, he got rocked and then came back and finished off close in like this quick, relatively quick succession anyway. But in general, I'm going to say, you know, against like good opponents like Michael Chandler getting dropped, hanging on and coming back and finding a way to finish him off. Oliveira seems like he's a little bit more battle tested against elite guys in that way, the way you're describing. So yeah, like if, I mean, this is an interesting part, right? Makachev couldn't be pulled into that kind of a fight. He was like, I'm just not going to have that fight with you. Can Dariush be pulled into it? Again, we've seen him. We've we've seen um, early in Makachev's UFC run having one mistake and then really working on it thereafter. You know, we've seen Dariush have a little bit more spirited contests throughout. So I think he can be pulled into one of those kinds of fights a little bit easier than Makachev. I just go back to what I've been saying before. I haven't seen that version of Dariush, though, the more reckless one in, in some time. Well, Luke, let's talk about this title picture and where the winner might go when you consider 
uh, Islam Mahachev, the champion, and the top four fighters are fighting each other coming up. Number one, Oliveira against number four, Dariush here. And then July 29th, the BMF title, the Poirier Gaethje at two and three, respectively, their rematch. Do you look at this more as a semifinal in a bracket with the idea of whoever shines more or whoever has a storyline that makes it a better matchup? Whoever could just really just shine is really the thing can get out of here and be next in line for Mahachev. Uh, or do you think it's already the BMF winner? Where do you think UFC sits on this one? If Oliveira wins, I don't know. If if Dariush wins, I think they will give him a title shot. I do believe that. I don't I don't think it matters what, between Gaethje and uh, Dustin. Hard to say that very convincingly. I know you it know is, what I mean. It should be, but then shouldn't that be not only because he's number one, but because he's he was you know just the champion and the and the most dangerous finisher and still hungry and still at yeah. it. Like it should be Luke. That it should, should be him no matter what. But uh, can you really say that with a straight face? You just can't. I don't know. Do you think it plays into the whole? Because the BMF thing could be flexible if they wanted to continue it. And we know Connor is lingering and doesn't. We don't know if he's going to fight Chandler. We don't know if he's going to get. It. I mean, look. Some people believe that in my DMs that Connor is just trying to personally test clean first before he'll enter the pool. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Could be. Could be just waiting out his endocrine system. Could be. That's what I'm talking about. So what I'm saying is I I do wonder if the winner of Poirier and Gaethje ends up in some sweepstakes to fight Connor or the winner of Connor Chandler or whatever. I do agree. If it's Dariush, I mean, dude, if you beat Charles Oliveira in this scenario right now, you deserve and that's your ninth win in a row, and you do have quality wins like like uh, Gamrot and Ferguson to to patch that up with Ferguson more in name only at this point, but still tough and and dangerous. Um, yeah, yeah, Luke, it's going to be that time. But what about Charles Oliveira? If he does show you that either glitch or not, he fought Machev, who's arguably the best in the world right now, and lost. But if he beats Dariush on this red hot streak. Could you see them doing that rematch in Brazil? We just had Mahachev go on the road to Australia to fight Volkanovski. Yes. I mean, Mahachev needs some good rivals, and Oliveira underperforming the first time, but then overperforming, let's say, against Dariush and then setting up a rematch, I think would be pretty huge. I, I, I think the UFC would be very happy to put him back in that position. Also, you know, do you really like Justin or Dustin's chances against Mahachev? You might. You might, depending on what they show you. But I, I don't, I, you know, I would tend to favor Makachev in all of those contests. I just think he's, yeah. for now, again, we'll see what Duryush can turn in. But for now, I think he's the best guy in this weight class. So, um, you know, they're on different tracks at this point in different places, and they mean different things. They could overlap, but I truly believe the the winner of this fight is most likely to get a title shot, just albeit with more uncertainty in the Oliveira direction. That's all. All right, BC, topic number three, the last of this, I should say the rest of this card it's not to say that there aren't some fun fights on here. Dan Ige taking on Nate Landwehr. That seems pretty fun. Uh, Nasordine Imavov taking on Chris Curtis. I like that fight a lot. Miranda Maverick against Jasmine Jasudovicius. I like that fight a lot. I'm in yeah. the hobbies on this card. 
anything really important or matter or stand out to you in a way that we deserve to talk about? I mean, the card blows, Luke. Would you agree with that? It's not great for a pay per view. It's really underwhelming. It, it would be yeah. a it would be a very good fight night card. It would be like a would it be acceptable as like a quarterly Fox or ABC card for sure, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. But eighty dollars or whatever it's going to be, like yeesh, yeesh. Okay, here's the deal. Um, this Nate Landwehr fight's interesting. And I'm going to be talking to him later today, Luke, right after the show. And I'm looking forward to it. Or I'm going to get on the train with this guy, all right? But as much as he is an incredible TV fighter, a guy who brazenly goes after finishes and is over the top and aggressive and is, you know, ridiculous on the microphone. Dude, he's won three in a row, two by submission. And now he's got himself the ranked opponent in Dan Ige, who, yes, is coming off a win, but had a pretty tough losing streak before that. Dude, this is a pretty huge fight for Nate the train to eventually go through that turnstile of not just pretender and unlikely contender, but even I think Luke of like comical TV fighter character, like Spike Carlisle or Darren Elkins, like he's in that category now, but he comes out and beats Dan Ige for a fourth straight win. Not only is he going to be ranked, you got to put some respect on that man's name, Luke. Okay. Like this is one of those fights for legitimacy. It's not for entertainment. It's not for the bonus. Although in his style, he's likely to go in that direction anyway. I think he's got three straight fights in which there was a bonus. But Luke, um, is he going to be allowed in the, in the elite country club? Is he going to be allowed in the ranked? Is he of this ilk? I like that this fight's going to really challenge that. I like it too. I think Dan Ige has been a guy who has like really tested himself against the very best at featherweight and found himself a little bit wanting in certain areas. But in the process, he got a whole lot better. He's looking for a second crack at it himself. Both of these guys are from different positions. So Ige got to test against the very best and is still you know not quite there working on it. Landwehr hasn't had that chance yet. And so if he can break through the Dan Ige barrier, man, he's on his way to, to some big-name opponents. And I think, to your point, he's got a really fan-friendly style. It'll just be interesting. I mean, Ige, for, you know, if you try to brawl with Ige, I think that could go poorly. Like, if you look at the sure. ways Ige has lost, it's because he had really good opponents who could very much dissect what he was doing in a very scientific way. Just kind of throwing the book at him probably won't work, but maybe Nate Landwehr has more than just that. That's what Saturday well, represents Landwehr's on got that some level. Sneaky technique, Luke. He really does. And the submission game has been interesting. He, he's opportunistic and goes after it for sure. Let's look at the betting odds at the moment from Caesars minus 260 Ige plus 210 Nate Landwehr. So uh, you got an opportunity to get plus money on that train. No disrespect to Dan Ige, Luke. This is the type of level of opponent he can. And the, the betting people are telling you should be. But, um, yeah, because my whole issue with Ige has always been, Luke, man, he fights a very aggressive and damage-heavy style for a guy that doesn't have huge power. He has decent power. He's got some pop. Not on the elite level. But no, that's not, no, that's no, not a that's factor right. that could could hurt him here. I mean, he's he could outwork Landwehr, but he's got to obviously avoid uh, – this fight getting too crazy and turning into some craziness on the ground. But either way, Luke, this has fight of the night written all over it. They, they get after it. So uh, you should get after it too. And, and really yeah, fair this. enough. Uh, also BC for me, the fight I care most about Miranda Maverick taking on Jasmine, just Vicious. Uh, Miranda Maverick, you know, you look at her record, BC, she's on a two fight win streak against Sabina Mazzo and then uh, Shanna Young. She win both of those. Well, one be a stoppage against Mazzo and then she decision young. Now she got the two losses before that one to Macy Barber. I thought she won that fight. So mm -hmm. there, that could have easily gone her way. She did plainly lose to Aaron Blanchfield, 
But hello, Aaron Blanchfield might be champion in this weight class by the end of this year. So it's like those two losses don't look that bad in hindsight, especially to the Barber one, which I don't think she lost at all. Jasuda Vicius is coming off of a one-fight rebound heading into this contest. Do you have any high hopes for this one like me? I think it's a great opportunity for Maverick to kind of like begin to be, hey, I'm a contender in this division who's worthy of some consideration Indeed. in the title conversation if she gets this one. And look at how much this went from arguably the worst division in the UFC to, man, this is really fun. And it, and it was always about we just need more playable characters to feed to Valentina. Well, that got flipped upside too, upside down too, right? We were all waiting to see what would happen when Valentina finally fought uh, Aaron Blanchfield or finally fought when we thought Tatiana Suarez might be making a run here. It turns out Tatiana's back at 115. But not only do we have this this very interesting group atop the division, Manon Ferro, another one. I mean, it, this is it's a fun-ass division. The, the second-level fighters, the Macy Barbers, and these two that are coming on, this is the perfect fight at the right time to find out exactly that, which one is coming on. Um Maverick has redeemed since those losses, even under the conditions that you mentioned in the barber fight being close. But I don't think she's ever fully lived up when she came into the UFC when we're sort of like, oh, here's kind of like a poor woman's Ronda Rousey again on the rise here, Luke. She hasn't met those expectations, whether fair or not yet in, from that standpoint. But she is solid and hard-nosed. And even with that loss recently for Jazz Devicius, she's a tough out on the feet, Luke. Good striker, you know, uh, fights out of Montreal there and can certainly do some things. This is going to be some high skill level in this matchup. Like, this is a pretty damn good um, decider on which one's coming or going there. But, man, I love the way this division's starting to come together. No, oh, I got a little bit ahead of myself, BC. I said, oh, she, you know, not that she would be automatically in title talk, but if Maverick gets a win, then she's not far from that conversation. That's a little true, but yeah, not she's totally. So she's oh, ranked she's, at she's, 15, which you might be like, oh, well, she's not even close. But the, the division is weird. Because Grasso is the champion, but just listen to who the rankings go. One is Shevchenko. I expect they're going to run that back. We'll have to see. And then you have Fioro at two. We'll see what happens with her in getting the title shot. But after that, Tyler Santos already fought for a title. Blanchfield obviously is sitting at four. She's on a different level completely. Andrade, you know, knock, they're not going to put her right back in a title fight anytime soon. Chukagian, same thing. Lauren Murphy, same thing. Maya, probably same thing. That takes us to number nine, Amanda Hebas. In other words, it does depend on whether Grasso stays there because it does create a fresh set of matchups. But if Shevchenko was able to get back into the winning position, yeah, maybe Blanchfield overtips the apple cart by the time she gets up there. I'm just pointing out, you have people who have had title opportunities who appear to be like on the other side of their career all the way up to number eight. It doesn't take moving very far to potentially be in title conversation. Maybe yeah. a little early with Maverick. Yeah. Just I, I like, though, that it's not where, where we were just a couple of years ago where it's like get one good win and we're going to fast track you right, right into that title shot. Good no, point. we're not there, which is much better. And Andrade is, I think is back at 115 and she got knocked out by Jan Shannon anyway. So yeah, you, to your point, she's not coming back to that title anytime soon. What I would like if let's say Maverick wins this Luke is I think she still needs to beat that outgoing generation of fighters that were, that were all contenders before the youth exited or the youth, uh, you know, infusion here. And I'm talking about Jennifer Maya. I'm talking about Caitlin Chukagian, like that level of fighters, you know, or even Hebas, who is lingering in the rankings around that level. That would probably be the next step after this and trying to figure this out. But yeah, this would be a great win on a, on a you know, be a great win for either of them in terms of the name value. But man, it's just it's just really fun to see more people that you'd actually be interested in watching fighting. And you think maybe if they get some more experience has a chance at being a contender rather than, oh, nice win, but you know, you don't have a chance in hell of scoring um anything but a first round stoppage loss to Shevchenko. Those days are over, Luke. It feels it feels good, right? It feels better. 
Because now we got to see her respond. Hell, yes. I still want to see Tyler Santos respond. You could argue that she should have been the champion that night. So, you know, it's this is there's 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 hunger there. I like it. I like hungry eyes. There is. Uh, BC, last but not least, and we'll talk a little bit about the one card on Friday, just a brief mention on Friday. It's not their best card, but there is a PFL card. PFL 4 is coming up, BC. PFL 4 will be uh, June 8th, so that's tomorrow at the Overtime Elite Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm not sure where that is. Uh, I think it might be one of the newer arenas. I don't know. BC, like you have a five-fight main card, location. which will be on ESPN slash ESPN+. Plus. Brendan Lachnan, your uh, featherweight champion against Jesus Pinedo. Uh, one of my, probably my favorite, maybe my favorite fighter, actually. I don't know if he's definitely my favorite, but one of my favorites in PFL. Movlid Habulayev taking on Tyler Diamond. There's some other names folks might know. Bubba Jenkins is on this card. Josh uh, Conan's son, Conan Silvera's son. Uh, Josh is on this card. Martin Hamlet. BC, I just want to read, if I can, this passage from Wikipedia, if I may, to describe the state of this card. Quote, a bevy of failed drug tests changed this card as nine PFL fighters were suspended in Nevada, including former UFC title challenger Thiago Santos, Bruno Capalazzo, Christoph Jocko, uh, a bunch of other names. It goes on and on. There's nine of them or ten of them. In light of the suspensions, Ty Flores stepped in for Will Flurry to fight Rob Wilkinson because Rob Wilkinson, the champion, is now out. Of course, he got uh, his own issues. Tyler Diamond's going to replace Daniel Torres against Habalayev. Gabriel Braga replaced Alejandro Flores to fight Marlon Moraes. By the way, he's on the prelim card in another featherweight bout. Taylor Johnson and UFC veteran Andrew Sanchez joined the light heavyweight season to replace the suspended fighters and will face each other. Impa Kasanganai and Tim Karen also will be, will be on this card. And it goes on and on from there. I didn't even list half the names that didn't get put on here because of all yeah. the suspensions. This card was decimated by the amount of suspension oh. slash drug test failures. They still got some decent names on here, BC, but they don't have like one killer fight on this entire card, not one. They don't even have, unfortunately, I mean, even with names that we kind of like on here and wouldn't mind watching, uh, it's just, a, they're in a tough place right now, the PFL, you know? And we talked about this briefly last week, but like, I didn't really love last season. You know what I mean? It was decent, it was okay. I thought the season before was really the one that they came on, grabbed my attention, that happens, things happen. But here's the deal, like, Next year can't come fast enough for this promotion. And by the way, if that smart cage ends up testing positive, then you might as well just fold the whole damn promotion. I mean, you know, Dude, seriously. I'm going to laugh my ass off if the smart cage, uh, you know, ends up beefing with chat GPT or something. But, like, think about it, Luke. It, it, I mean, look, they're doing their best to, to keep the train on the tracks here. Um, but next year where Jake Paul is supposed to make an MMA debut and Ganu is supposed to finally make a fight and do it on pay-per-view – uh, you know, who's Kayla Harrison going to fight? They didn't put her in the tournament to try to make a fourth fight with Larissa Pacheco there. They just put her in waiting for this pay-per-view launch next year. That can't come fast enough because all the buzz is either is negative. All the buzz is they, they failed more drug tests or and morning combat shitted on the damn, you know, intelligent cage again. Like that's the only thing people are talking about. And I, I think that's, that's tough. There's, they, there's a lot of ambition in the PFL. There's a lot of money, but there has not been a ton of reasons to watch this year. Dude, this is, I mean, this is the, I've made this point a million times. I won't rehash it except to say one more time. Look at what the PFL has built with all that money and all those resources after this many years. Remember, there used to be World Series of Fighting, which was a different organization still, but PFL has been around for uh, some time now. They have built a bridge to nowhere. They've built a bridge to nowhere. This, this is not 
a product that can survive much. I mean, they might be able to survive on venture capital, but this is not a product making money like in any capacity whatsoever. So I don't know if the Francis deal will work, but it's nights like these when I look at cards like these and I'm like, right, that's why they wanted to sign Francis because this other shit that they've built at times can be really interesting to you or to me or maybe to some of our viewers, but is not a product that is oh. ever going to turn a profit or make yes. them known. It is different, though, even a year ago where I didn't think they had a great year, where at least if you've got, you know, old Anthony Pettis in the main event. Oh, no. Oh, Rory's on there, too. Oh, and these guys who haven't yet popped for PEDs that could be something tomorrow, like Capaloza. And then the the solid guys like Lockman who just come out and perform and put on fun fights. It was a much different equation. Um, damn, are they decimated right now? They're, they're, they're leaking. They're leaking, Luke. They, they're going to have to. This is putting a lot of pressure on them to come huge not just the pressure of can they make this Ngano deal worth it beyond the us you know saying great move francis great to see well can they make it worth it now now i think the pressure on them is like double and triple because it's just sort of like what the hell's going on well you know like let's yeah i don't know luke they're gonna have to be really aggressive and free like really aggressive in free agency yeah it's not just the francis signing they have to transform their product right i mean that's really what they have to do they have to transform it and uh this is just a, I'm not going to say a waste of time. That's, that's not fair, but it's not a meaningful change to anything that they're doing. It's just yeah. another event, right? Um, all right, BC, that is it for our top four on our kind of amended show here. I'm going to guess because of the state of things, we can't really do fan subs. <laughs> oh, we, we can, can do, do fan, fan subs. subs. Okay. Yeah, so just a heads up, Mikey Mormon on the ones and twos from CBS Sports behind us there. We had some awful uh, technical difficulties off the top, and we do apologize for that delay, but um. We can get into it right here, Luke. The fans have their chance every Wednesday to speak and show us their art. It's morningcombat at gmail.com, the email address. And at the end of that rabbit hole is Mikey Morms waiting patiently for you to arrive. All right? If you're gonna You've got mail. Viewers. Yeah, he he just ran that in the middle of you talking. He's, he's like, if you, he's about to say something inappropriate, let me click it right now. There we go. Yeah, it's called Fan Subs. Here we go. Uh, number one, Luke, is a man named Brendan. My name is Brendan, and I've been an MK donk since the first Bomb Shelter episode. I am an Australian photographer living in the U.S., and I recently returned from a trip to Antarctica. I sailed there on a 112-year-old Dutch ship called the Bark Europa. I took some of my MK gear on the trip. This guy really brought MK merch to all. Antarctica, Luke. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to represent LTBC uh, and the show down on south of the White Continent. I believe this is a first for any combat sports show, as I've never heard of anyone watching these programs down in Antarctica. I've included MK Boys, LT and the DC, and the BBC with the BDE, and the CT with some CTE. That was lame. But I just want to let you guys know I'm a huge fan of the show, have been since day one. And I, uh, I also wanted to let you guys know that I believe you can now add to your ever-growing list of accolades that you are the only combat sports podcast to be watched in the uh, seventh and last continent. I'm down here in Antarctica. I uh, came down on a 112-year-old tall ship called the Bark Europa and uh, catching up with your boys. I love what you guys do. Again, like I said, been a huge fan of the show, and um, yeah, can't wait to get back to uh, not just yet, but we're going to civilization. Uh, I can't wait to catch up with uh, some more fight news and whatever you guys have going on. Hope the UK show went well, and uh, thanks again. 
Now, BC, what are the chances he's oh, down no. there uh, just trying to kill like endangered species or something? Oh, you yeah. I mean? He's definitely selling whale skin uh, <laughs> on the dark web. There's no question about it. Hey, Luke, can we say something right here? I, you know, some people don't love fan subs. and We're watching this guy, Brendan, on the boat. And I get why, but I love to connect with the fans. I love to give you guys a chance to say what you're going to say or add to the art that we paint here. Wow. This is a fucking power move from the standpoint of fan subs and, hey, how do I get my name known as a MK Donk, right? How do I become the next Appy or, or Jay Paquette or, uh, or uh, Christos Christophoros, the great web stream? How about I charter an old-ass boat Go to Antarctica wearing the grossest MK t-shirt we sell and watching the show on the Wi-Fi down under, down way under, like way, way under. This is the classiest thing that's ever happened in this show's history, Luke. What is, I don't even know how to put this in historic frame of reference. This guy, Brendan, is a hero. These shots are amazing. This dude's trip looks amazing. I'm incredibly jealous, incredibly honored he sent us this. And um, that's a hell of a way to run from the Jan 6 committee. That's... <laughs> the good news is he supports our show. The bad news is, Luke, he has a left a wake of Weinsteins back there. And Rolling Stone <laughs> is now writing a feature on his comedic ass. Yeah, that's that's not that's not good at all. Um, wow, dude. I mean, cool. I love Super it. Cool. I got to be honest. I love when we get people that reach out from countries you never would have imagined across this globe that are like, hey, over here, big fan. Yeah, you might too. not guess it. Um this is, I mean, I know he doesn't live there, Luke. We're not going to do an MK Live show, you know, down there anytime soon. But wow, brother. Like, thank you, Brendan. Two Welcome. thumbs up. Welcome, Brendan, to what we do here. Uh, wow, amazing shit right there. Let's go over to K1. Hi, guys. Taff here. I'm a Welshman living in Asia. Just that sat through a 12-hour session on my leg as my artist was due to fly to Australia for six months. I ended up getting that one-hitter quitter. Would love Luke to rate my tat and give it a rating. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Okay, first things first. Don't leave the picture up. Leave the picture up. Just look at this humanoid's feet. <laughs> Just look at them shits. Well, Luke, I mean, neither he, of us should talk, to be fair. Yeah, well, here's I've the thing. We can't talk because I am probably worse and you maybe are as well. No, you already but, know that I am. You already know that. Okay. Here's what I'll say. I don't know much about this style of tattooing, so I would be very much completely in front of my skis. The color saturation looks very good. The line work looks really good. Um, from what I can tell, this is a really nice piece of work, but this is not a style that I've got much experience in at all. Yeah, that looks pretty cool, though. The guy's name is Taff. I don't know what this K1 business is, but he, a Welshman living out in Asia. He does look like Mark Hunt from the waist down, Luke. Yeah, from the waist down, he looks like he's part of the Fiji rugby team, but from the waist up. I bet he doesn't have a hog like them, though, to be very fair. All right, that Welshman? No, not a chance here. I'm an, I'm an adopted Welshman, so I can speak on that, Luke. There you go. Uh, let's hear from Andy. He says, hey, Luke in BC, I back. Trust me. I back from Mexico. Wow. While I was there, I had to rep MK at a wonder of the world for a third time, this time being Chichen Itza. Since I know how much Luke loves pro wrestling, I also had to check out a Lucha Libre show in Mexico City. To be clear, that is not a gimp mask. Cheers from back in Inglaterra. It's Andy. Uh, Luke, your thoughts here on the uh, mask superstar? Yeah, I mean, it is 
it is a gimp mask just depending on how you use it you know what i'm saying <laughs> like he doesn't have the mouth zipper but you could get i mean imagine you showed up to a party and they're like where's the gimp and then you walked in with that would they say that they couldn't make that work i feel like they would say they could make that work you know i think so i think so uh luke i went to chichen itza on my honeymoon how was it it was great. I loved it. It was fantastic. The bus driver, though, he kept saying, no, 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 no chicken pizza, if anyone pronounced it wrong, which was weird. And I can still creep my wife out to this day re recalling that story, Luke. I guess you had to be there in Mexico, but that was weird. Yeah, there you go. Let's go to Matt. Good morning. Here is my sub. <laughs> what does that say? Infinite on the left side. Infinite world peace and every MMA cage is a PFL smart cage or no world peace and the pfl smart cage ceases to exist guys i gotta tell you world peace is overrated let's get rid of that smart cage <laughs> dude if the pfl was smart they would create a voice like like the kit like hasselhoff's kit car from the early mid 80s though and make this a personality give it its own twitter account right like cook up videos like actually reach out to us and say hey mk i know you've had fun with this would you guys be willing to do the first on-camera interview with the smart cage? All right. Uh, yeah, I'll just say this. Um, there's a movie out with a guy from Workaholics. I think it's called like Jesse or Jessic or something. And it basically, this guy has an operating system with a voice like Siri or whatever. But the the bit is that it talks shit to him. I would love it if the PFL smart cage like talks shit. Be like, which one of you fighters for this contest tonight in Atlanta is on steroids? Show of hands. <laughs> Luke, how do you think the smart cage would pronounce Caceres? Uh, <laughs> smartly. Out of, smartly. Out of, out of Sonia. Yes, yes, indeed. Let's go to Todd. He says, ahoy, mates. Here's my installment for the week. <laughs> God bless this man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leo, imagine if Leo, man, dude, it, it's not impossible, Luke. I always say that. I know there's got to be one celebrity that has not come out yet, and I don't mean come out in the transgenial, transgenital, what, transgenital. Well, I forgot our debate last week. I mean, come out and say I am a donk. Imagine if it was Leonardo DiCaprio, Luke. I know we got the big E. I know you know. So we're already up there. There's levels to this celebrity game, but damn, man, damn. Hollywood A-list actor, I'd be sized. Uh, History HD says, hey, Donks, I know you don't like the slapdick, <laughs> but I couldn't help but bring this art to life. My question to you both, is there more oh. of a chance of cardiac arrest from one of these athletes or from Dada 5000 level washed MMA fighters? First of all, you're just putting my head on a man who's 400 plus pounds. <laughs> it seems a little unfair, but hold on. Go back to the other one. I just want to see if there was a quote that was attributed to you real quickly. If we can, Mikey. Yeah, was that other one part of this or was it placed in error, Mikey? Uh, here he goes. This he replied that, else. quote, he has a lot to offer. The Quran also reached out to Campbell's colleague, Luke Thomas. Thomas insisted that Campbell has, quote, had absolutely no martial arts training whatsoever and, quote, BC's gym looked like a Petri dish for a number of communicable diseases. Not bad. All right. Not bad. Let's, let's attribute this properly. This is the second one from Todd, who was the one before. And this is hilariously brilliant. Uh, uh, Mikey said this might be our best one ever, Luke. Look at that. The Hartford Current. Area Man opens fraudulent MMA gym. I mean, just, I mean, they even have on the wall, Luke, the artwork of BC's Angels. Me with yeah. uh, Joanna and Valentina and Rose. This is wow. very well done. That is Todd. I know it kind of, we 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 missed the timing on that, 
dude, that is top shelf fan subbing right there. That is some good ass shit. I appreciate that. And look back to history HD um, and the slap situation here. That's mean that they put you on that guy. I mean, that's yeah. just. I mean, it's a little much. I don't think I, I, you know, I would never say that I looked great, but I can at least say I don't look quite this bad. The <clears throat> good, good for the Nevada, and because I, I say Nevada, Luke, and locals there hate that. Good for they do the hate ne- that. Yeah. Good for the Nevada Commission uh, approving that man to compete. I mean, it would be cool though if all of our fan subbers really wanted to use the fame that they could get through fan subs in this to become something. And we created our own slap team, Luke, a renegade slap team of MK donks that we were the coaching staff and we go and challenge Dana and infiltrate the promotion and take the whole thing down. Yeah. The whole thing though, our whole bit would be that uh, only Krupp can get slapped. Like he can't do any slapping back. <laughs> All right. Let's go to uh Christian. He says, this is a license plate that Luke would approve of. Holy wow. Bible. No. Holy BBL. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, Luke, you've read that book many, many, many times. Yes, I've seen your search history. Let's go to David Appleton. Hi, guys. Recently, Luke claimed it was disgusting for men not to share their private parts or shave their private parts. Sorry. So I thought it was time to act. Luckily, Manon, a former student, came to stay last weekend and was happy to oblige. As we Europeans don't get access to MK sponsors goods, there is no Manscaped gear in sight here. So Dude, I this guy to... lives in the. I mean, where did, does it? Why is Appy living at the place where they filmed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? So, so I asked her to trim my bush with whatever suitable equipment she could find. So here we are, getting ready for the delicate procedure, decked out in MK merch 2.0, followed by a post-op beer. Yours, Cosby, Appy. P.S. She says, if you don't start pronouncing her namesake, Manon Faro, properly, you boys will be next. PPS, JP, I know you're watching. Stop pretending otherwise. Oh, my God. Luke, I think JP may have pulled out of this show, all right? He may, he may yeah, have apparently out. he got bitter at me over I, I roasted him. I didn't know we couldn't roast each other. I thought that's what we did, but he I guess not. He may have pulled out, Luke. I'm not sure. But, Luke, um, what happened with Appy and Manon once the cameras turned off? Yeah, former student, my ass. I mean, get the fuck out of here with that description of your relationship. Dude, you gotta. David Weinstein is just leaning into this bit. You gotta love that, right? He really is. A former student came to visit. Bitch, why would a former student come to visit you? <laughs> I mean, would you be surprised if you found out he had multiple women tied up in his house? I don't. No. I hate saying that out loud. You know. No. I, I why would you? Let, I mean, also, dude, mow your fucking grass. Yeah. Is like keeping your yard in check an American thing? What the fuck is that? I think he was talking about his personal bush, but yeah, your backyard. Well, just look at the thing. house. The house is like surrounded by a moat of grass. Yeah. You, I mean, that is a drive-through turnstile for ex-students, that house, Luke. That is a house of horrors. You know what I'm saying? It's just unbelievable there. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Sorry. Uh, let's go to Alan W., a genius in this area, Luke. He says, this is for BC and his previous <laughs> Wait, love. how is it that wrestling. they're putting my face on like the world's fattest man and then they're well, putting yours on this jacked human? Oh yeah, that is that is Scott Steiner, obviously. Uh, Big Papa Pump here, uh, here to please the washed forty-year-old divorcees and assault the ling- English language. Divorcees. Here comes the big bad gringo daddy, Big Papa Beige. Damn, that is good work, Alan W. Uh, this goes out to all my Wonder Bread 
saltine eaten divorcees. <laughs> Dude, he's playing into the famous uh, cadence and delivery there of one big pop of pump in the 90s. Fantastic. Also, I think it's divorcees. Yeah, it's it's probably probably Luke, but it probably uh, depends which you know how the family pronounces it at the end of the true, day. That's true. That's uh, true. Firstly, Brian will get his this wrestling reference as the photo works as a set, venturing to the peak of his midlife crisis fitness journey with his personal trainer and TRT. Luke Thomas becomes last vicious Luke lascivious. Lude. Lascivious yeah. Luke Lude, yeah. These words are too big for me. With his unbridled confidence, Lascivious Luke constantly offers unsolicited advice to BBLs at the gym, berate other men for being fat, out-of-shape sweat hogs, and gyrating in men's yoga pants after each set. Luke, you cantankerous, some a bitch. Good luck. Luke, that's that's ravishing Rick Rude, but they made you look like Chris D'Elia right there. That, I don't know about that. It's a little dicey, but Luke, this is brilliant fan subbing right here. Yeah, I don't love the look. Also, why do you have a mustache like Salvador Dali? I don't quite get that. I don't know, but dude, how badass in the late 80s was this WWF gimmick where Rick Rude would put Jake Roberts' wife's face on his on the crotch of his pants? That was pretty good, right? I don't remember that, but that is pretty ballsy. No uh, pun intended. Is the rest of this from Alan W? Mikey, or is this separate? All right, this is good. This, this, day this on a is a terrible true. show. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, to close on Alan's fan sub here, Luke, here we go. Uh, I'll read the, the remaining script. In episode 448, during the Dead Wrong segment, Elliot from England had a grand idea in rena renaming RSD 1.0 to Skits and Bits. Inspired by the name change and Luke's comment on BC opening the doors and letting in all the homeless oh cats, God. I had to spit out some new art from my art hole. Imagine sometime in the near future, a skits and bits RSD with some of the homeless cats. Note this fan submission has a lot of Easter eggs. Some of the homeless cats are indeed legendary donks as well. See if you could identify them. Luke, do you find any of the, of the Easter eggs on this? Uh, there's Waldo in the background. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having a Budweiser because I don't drink Budweiser, but maybe it's from the whole uh, Bud Light thing. I don't know. The Pepto I get. Because I used to have stomach issues. Then they have the gravity bong, which is excellent. You have the hot dog. Uh, you have the PF Changs, which is of course is a nod to the subreddit. And then there's some of the posters that he has put in from before. I don't know much about the cats themselves. I see one's got a pirate eye or some shit. I don't know. Uh, apparently, he's got references that I can't even find to the Paquettes, to Appy, and Danger Mouse in this. But Luke, this is brilliant work here from Alan W. Holy this shit! This is pretty pretty well done. I have to agree. And he says, finally, in that same episode, the word BC was looking for is tangentially, not tangentially, genitally, tangentially. Try not to butcher the English language, BC. Uh, Luke, that's for the fan subs, morningcombat at gmail.com. Holy shit, what a day for him. Brendan brought it. Todd brought it. Alan W. brought it. Uh, this new era of fan subbing, Luke, is, is blowing me away. What's blowing you these days? <laughs> How's your hole? Uh, all right well look yeah. today's show did not go as planned this was not the kind of show we wanted to do we wanted to go live and obviously we had a lot of issues behind the scenes hopefully this is the last one of these for a while so apologies to you folks out there for changing everything up i'm already getting angry emails about it which is great so um thank you for your patience thank you for your understanding apologies for how it turned out 
Hopefully we can make it up to you on Friday. And of course, some other stuff next week. We'll see. All right. Um, reminder, Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go check that out. Morningcombat.store is the place for merch if you still want to support us. And uh, morningcombat at gmail.com. The people sending me angry emails and CC me on them already know that. But for the rest of you, morningcombat at gmail.com. Friday, we'll do OK Bet. We'll get you ready for some of the one stuff that's going on. We'll react to some of the news and notes that's happening in the sport. I will have a post UFC 289 live show for you guys, a reaction show immediately after the pay-per-view main event on Saturday night. So be prepared for that. Brian, of course, is in Verona, New York. Brian, thank you for making time for us and all that good stuff. Have fun with Showbox on Friday. We'll talk to you then. For BC, I'm LT. We're out of here. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.